זהו. You're listening to On Israel in Almonitor, I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Cyber. Most of us hadn't heard the world until a few years ago. Now it seems we hear it everywhere, all the time. It first popped up on our radar as a security-related term, defensive and offensive cyber. It is now being talked about as a revolution. In fact, experts believe the cyber revolution is the biggest historical event since the Industrial Revolution over 200 years ago. Cyber has transformed our daily lives just like the wheel changed human evolution thousands of years ago and electricity shaped modern human existence. Does this sound a bit over the top? I'm not so sure. The fact that cyber has become a buzzword doesn't mean most of us know what it means. Cybermania is the name of a new book that explains it, describes the history of the cyber revolution in general, and of Israel's global cyber leadership in particular. Israel is a cutting-edge power in many fields, high-tech, medicine, agriculture, special ops measures, etc., It ranks high on most of these indexes in per capita achievements. In the cyber field, Israel enjoys undoubted supremacy as one of the three to five superpowers in this field. Just consider this. With a population just short of 10 million, a tiny portion of the world's population of almost 8 billion, Israel attracts over 30% of global cyber investment and ranks among the world's top three in the extent of its cyber deals, cyber exports, number of companies engaged in defensive and offensive cyber activity, and extent of innovation in the field. The book Cybermania was written by Professor Eviatar Matanya, together with journalist and entrepreneur Amir Rapaport. Professor Matanya has played a key role in turning Israel into a world cyber power. He established the National Cyber Bureau in 2012, leading it until 2018 with a mandate from then Prime Minister Netanyahu to turn Israel into a super cyber power. He has held various highly sensitive security positions, especially in weapons R&D. He is currently a professor at the School of Political Science, Government, and International Affairs at the Tel Aviv University, where he also heads the graduate program in security studies. He holds an adjunct professorship at Oxford University and is a consultant on cyber policies and national security. Professor Matanya joins us right after this break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East, and if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon Elmonitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, 
please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Now I'm happy to uh, say hello and welcome, uh, Professor Eviatar Matanya. Thank you for uh, joining us here in Israel in Almonito. Uh, Shalom, how are you, Professor? Thank you, Ben. It's a privilege to be here with you. I'm fine and looking forward to our discussion. And we are talking cyber and we're talking uh, the recent uh, book that uh, is uh, making a lot of buzz here in Israel, Cybermania written by you and my colleague, Amir Rapapo, the journalist and the entrepreneur. And the first question, before diving into the details, is uh, what brought you uh, now, the timing? What was the trigger that, that brought you and uh, Amir to go to this project and invest all the time and energy to, to bring us uh, this book? And how do you write a book like this uh, in two? So uh, um, first, thank you for this question because I think that uh, it's very interesting. What stood in front of our eyes was that uh, the last decade was um, something like a revolution, uh, a global revolution, uh, because the cyber became so important to our lives and a lot of human activity uh, has, has been transformed into the cyber domain. And second, uh, was the uh, role that uh, Israel has played during this decade, uh, becoming one of the global leading powers in cyber in general and cybersecurity in particular. And these two, uh, I would say, these two issues together uh, brought us uh, to read, uh, to write this book and to emphasize first what the cyber uh, revolution is Second, uh, what happened during this decade, the history of this decade, and third, the role of Israel in this decade and uh, in the global world. Regarding your question about our partnership, um, I think that uh, Amir and I uh, complement each other uh, because I bring the, I would say, the strategic view, uh, you know, from the top of the mountain, and how government think about these issues of technology in general and cyber in particular. And I was there uh, to create and bring Israel into its position in cyber. And Amir brings the, um, the view from, uh, as a platform because he's the entrepreneur of Cybertech, which is a platform of industry, academy, technologies that deal with cyber all the year, all the time. And he sees the uh, industry, the business sector very well. Together, I believe that you bring a very, a non-fiction, a very interesting non-fiction story to our readers. And also, if I may add, after reading uh, half of the book uh, in two or three nights, it's a very uh, a unique combination between you two. And let's start with a, with a general overview. Is the cyber revolution indeed of the same magnitude uh, as uh, the industrial revolution and uh, is its impact on our daily lives as decisive and dramatic? So this is, uh, I find this question very interesting and, and quite challenging. 
Um, I, I would start with a point towards two topics from the investor revolution, just, uh, you know, as a symbol to what happened during the industrial revolution, which is uh, uh, too long to talk about, but think about it, the, the industrial revolution freed us from our total, total dependence on our arm, on our, on our um, uh, force, the human force. And uh, it also changed the whole nature of the uh, value pyramid. I mean, no more just land was important in order to be rich men, but uh, energy resources and uh, the ability to, to produce products and services. Now look at the cyber. The cyber is freeing us from our total dependency on the physical dimensions because the, we created a man-made virtual domain, which a lot of human activity is going into. And the second issue is the changing in the nature of the value pyramid again. Uh, it's not that just fuel and products and services, but no, what uh, underlies everything is the data and we need algorithms and we produce knowledge. So the rich man is not just the one uh, who has uh, energy sources and fuel and knows what to do with them, with them and have factories. But no, those who have data and know what to do with data and how to produce knowledge and wisdom out of data. And uh, if you look at this new domain, the man-made domain, you can see that, for example, shopping has been partially transformed into this domain and not just what we were used to. Financial, most of it is currently inside the new cyber domain. And social media was not here before we had this new domain of human activity. So if I may summarize my um, answer to you is that more and more human activity is going into this virtual man-made new domain. And I believe that uh, during the years we will all have both a, you know, a real presence and a virtual uh, presence inside this domain. And uh, in 10 to 20 years, we see it uh, as very similar to the industrial revolution. The cyber phenomenon will be a revolution much like the industrial phenomenon revolution that we saw 150 years ago. And it's, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, and uh, I cannot really, I cannot imagine uh, how will it look like, I, I wanted to say 50 years from now, but it is also, the, the, the one of the phenomenon of, of this era is the shortage of, of time. Things happen within, a, once you had to, to, to wait 50 years, now it's maybe 50, 50 days. But let's go on. Yes, you and were... man, just to add to it, think about it during the agriculture era, it was the same more or less for 12,000 years you know, uh, children made the same as their fathers and most of the population uh, needed to, uh, to work for us to have food. So, and then in just 100 years, everything was changed and the pace of the cyber, yes, it's years, not tens of years, but years. Exactly. Everything changing. Think about 200, uh, 2007, where the uh, first, um, 
iPhone uh, came into the market and see your life now and before 2007 and think about how in a decade everything would change. Un- unimaginable. It's un- exactly like this. And, uh, and you, you were there when Israel decided to set a tone and uh, lead the cyber field. How did this come about? And is Israel truly a dominant cyber power in global numbers, not only per capita, like we used to say, when we measure Israel, we always add per capita. So maybe the number is, is, is not, so, not so big, but if you will translate it to our population or our, our size, in cyber, it is, it is the global number and we are there. And, and I wanted to, you to, to, to explain me, how did it happen? Because you were there. So uh, yes, um, the, the, I think the incredible phenomenon that we saw in cyber and Israel is that this is the first issue where Israel is, is a real player, not just per capita, but, but in absolute numbers. And just for example, uh, 40% out of the global investment in cyber, the private ones, reach Israel, 40%. So we are the first in the world. And uh, one third of the world unicorns, uh, private companies uh, that the market share is, is more than $1 billion, one third of them uh, belongs to Israel. So these are real numbers of a global power. This is the first time where we are there with absolute number and not just um, per capita. So if you think about it, I, I, I would like to point towards the fact that it was a hard work, a decade of very hard work, which w- was based on the basic capacities Israel had in uh, technology in general and in ICT information and communication uh, technologies in particular. And above this, we created the uh, ecosystem we changed everything. We started in 2010 with 60, think about it, $60 million only investments in uh, cybersecurity companies. Now we are in several billion of dollars a year. We started with no, with almost no research in our academy in cyber. We had some, something in cryptography and in cyber, very small numbers. Currently, due to the six research center that we have established, we have hundreds of research every year, which is again in absolute numbers. Uh, there was almost no focus on cybersecurity a, a decade ago. Uh, we called it information security. It was there, but it was so it was not so important from the governmental perspective. No regulation, no thinking, no thinking about. Um, uh, a national strategy for cybersecurity. And after a decade, we are there, and not just uh, inside Israel with 50 new units inside the government to defend uh, uh, the, the, the sectors, all the sectors Israel in cyber, not just the Israel National Cyber Directorate and, and technologies and startups. We are not just in Israel, but we are known around the world as one of the leaders in cybersecurity, we were not there a decade ago. And of course, cyber is a new way of war. You know, uh, the IDF um, is struggling for, for the last, I would say, five to seven years. If uh, there is a need 
to establish a new, a new force, a new arm, what we call, uh, for cyber or just to let it be inside the current units. But we think about it, we are there. To summarize this, I would say, yes, Israel is part of the cyber club. I call the cyber club the leading powers in cyber. Of course, the US there, Russia and China, the superpower, the great powers lead uh, the cyber club, but Israel and United Kingdom and several others are there also leading, we lead in some numbers, in other places we are part of the five leading powers, but yes, I think we are there and uh, not just per capita. Okay, so let's dive a little more and I want to ask you, what was the secret, the characteristic or the advantage that enabled Israel to surge ahead in this field that, like just uh, uh, told us, and is its leadership only in the military security aspect or also in other areas? And if I, I may add, may I add, the, the advantage of Israel in what we call the intelligence, the 8200 unit of Amman of the intelligence branch in the IDF, the Mossad, all these uh, brains, young brains, young uh, uh, people that uh, leave the army after three, four, five years. Uh, this asset, uh, the human asset, is it uh, playing a role here as well? Uh, so my answer, my answer is yes, totally yes. Uh, to what you have, you have just described, the young... Uh, people that leave the army and the semi-cyber and go to work for the industry. But if I also may say, I think that um, it's not just, or it's far, than, far more than just being a leadership in our security branches. On the contrary, I think that the, the security community, uh, although they understood in cyber, they didn't look at it from a national point of view. They didn't think about the whole ecosystem of industry, academy, and government. They saw it from their resolution, uh, from the security point of view. So, uh, so would it, it have been dependent only on them? Uh, we couldn't be in uh, the point that we are now. So it, it needed much more, but again, I think that uh, it's very important to understand that what we had in our security forces, and especially uh, the young generation that grew out of the cyber units in uh, our intelligence corporation and other places, they are part of the human capital that uh, created uh, part of what we see in the industry. Another important point is the basic capacities Israel had again, in technology and ICT, and I think specifically the, co the combination of our basic capacity in security, in cybersecurity and cyber power is part of uh, security. Together with uh, technology, uh, security and technology, these are two fields where Israel is quite strong in. I think that the combination of them uh, made us uh, a real power in cyber because cyber is exactly technology and security. But I have also to add here that I think that part of what happened in cyber is due to governmental leadership. 
the government and the prime minister, we wrote in the book, Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, he had the vision in 2010 um, to understand the cyber could be both an opportunity for Israel from the economic point of view, from uh, policy point of view, but also a real threat from the security point of view. And uh, he understood that we should put there a lot of efforts, budgets and understanding and uh, in order to mitigate the threat, but also to succeed and use the opportunity from the economic point of view. And I think that the government uh, leadership together with the capacity we had, we, we had in our security forces and in our high tech industry, they led us to build the very unique ecosystem. We, and this is the secret world I think that you were looking for. Yeah. And we, uh, we can an we can compliment Netanyahu here was the right man in the right time he, he, he uh, saw the uh, the opportunity and seized the moment uh, and I want to ask you now there is an argument over uh, where the advantage lies in military cyber use in the offensive or defensive dimension is Israel more dominant in one of these fields than in in the other and can one determine which side would enjoy an edge in a cyber war, the attacker or the defender? Because I, ha I, I heard and read about uh, many versions to this uh, question. So I will take you again, just as a symbol to the uh, conventional uh, power. Think about it, uh, about the machine gun in the First World War, which uh, was an advantage for the uh, defenders. And the tank in the Second World War, with, uh, which um, gave superiority to the, to the attackers. Office. Yes, exactly. So they, we know that in conventional power, it is changing. There is no inherent or some basic advantage to one of the offense or the defense. It is changing according to technology and time. So the question in cyber is exactly what you asked. Does, it, uh, does someone have a real advantage, an, in, an, an inherent advantage out of the specific domain, or is it going to change uh, along the time? So in the beginning, something like 15 to 10 years ago, most practitioners and uh, even scholars thought that uh, the attackers, the offense has some an inher an inherent advantage of the other in the cyber domain due to the fact that you need just one hole in order to penetrate. You do not need to go, you know, and bring divisions of tanks. One hole and you are there and you can build a real campaign. But what happened during the years is that first, uh, during the last decade, a lot of budgets and effort uh, were invested in uh, cyber defense, cyber security, and we see that the balance is changing. And uh, people understood that it was not just about information security, but we need to think about difference. You know, the, the difference is it 20 or 30 years ago, people thought about information security. We have information, we, we need to secure it. But now we know that this is a better. We need uh, to have, um, to think about it as a better. We need to think about difference, not just security. So it was, it changed the whole issue of how we should defend our networks. 
And uh, now people believe that there is no real inherent basic uh, advantage to offenders or to defenders, but it is going to be uh, changed across time uh, according to what we are going to do, according to how we are going to secure and defense. And one so it's, last it's, point- it's difficult to differentiate and, and actually defense and, and offense in cyber, according to you, is uh, the, the two parts of the same entity. And, uh, and, and yes, one cannot decide or define which is more important, more efficient, etc. Was I right? We will see attacks. Yes, yes. I, I believe that we will see it will be easy for uh, high attackers to attack and to succeed to penetrate. It will, it will be easy. It, it is very difficult to defend. But one attack is not a campaign. It's not a war. It's not cyber power, okay? To build a cyber power, you will see that the defense and defenders can do a lot in order to defend their networks. It will be much more balanced. One attack could be easy. Understood. A real campaign in the war, difficult. So we, we spoke about uh, offensive defense. Let's uh, talk about uh, deterrence. We are familiar with the terms such as uh, nuclear deterrence, conventional deterrence, and even economic deterrence. In the international balance of balance of power, should we also add cyber deterrence to this? You know, this is something that a lot of scholars deal with. If you talk about nuclear deterrence, you talk about MED, what you call MED, which is mutually assured destruction. And you know, this is what we call deterrence by punishment. If you talk about conventional, usually you talk about what we call deterrence by punishment, meaning. Yes, if you are going to attack me, I'm going, you know, to retaliate. And, uh, you know, Israel is talking about accumulated deterrence over the years and over our wars. And usually what you talk about deterrence is deterrence of punishment. In cyber, yes, when we talk about cyber, we, we used to say that cyber deterrence is part of the whole deterrence that you have as an, as an army and then a nation state. Uh, and not it's it's not just you know deterrence in the cyber domain. It's part of everything. One may attack you in cyber, and you may retaliate conventionally, and the opposite. But we also talk about another way of deterrence, what we call deterrence by denial. Deterrence by denial means that we deny your ability to succeed. For example, if you talk about Iron Dome, Iron Dome is a sort of deterrence by denial. We cannot, we do not, it's not a deterrence, you know, by punishment, but if you try to do something, we eliminate your ability to make harm. So the same in cyber, people believe that building a very strong uh, cyber defense would be what we call deterrence by denial, meaning that you know that although you try a lot, you will not, you will be able to attack, you will be able to penetrate, to do something, but not to cause a, a real harm, not to harm our critical infrastructures or to take, our, to take us uh, onto our knees. So this is insane. When, if I try to, uh, again, to just to summarize it, yes, the deterrence in cyber are a real issue. We believe that it will be part of uh, the whole deterrence that the nation state has. And specifically in cyber, we will talk about deterrence by denial through our ability to better defend. 
We are running out of time, but it is so interesting. I have to ask you a couple more questions. I will uh, uh, thank you for uh, maybe a shorter uh, answers and let's get down to the specifics of a cyber war. We are already experiencing wars of this kind and what uh, are the main uh, differences between the cyber wars of this generation and the next and the conventional warfare we experienced in the previous century. Uh, will we see more uh, casualties, uh, people will get killed and wounded, or it will be maybe a, a cleaner a world that, we, that the wars will be uh, held uh, in, in, you know, in, in the internet? Maybe it's, 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 it's good, but maybe I'm wrong. So one cannot know, but you pointed towards an interesting point because you can uh, through the cyber attack, you may cause harm to computer systems and not to people. So it could be a cleaner war. I think that also what's interesting with cyber war is it uh, goes from tactics to strategics, meaning you know, nuclear weapons are strategic. Cyber could be very small, but also very big. It could be under the radar. Most people wouldn't know that something happened, but it could so also be you know, above the radar. You can, and, and you know, most of the time around us, there are a lot of what we call cyber battles between Ukraine and uh, Russia, between Israel and Iran, between United States and China. All the time there are, I would call cyber battles. Some of them is just uh, still in the intelligence area, but part of them is information warfare or trying to cause some harm. And uh, cyber will be part of any, cyber war will be part of any future world and they will all be more hybrid, you know, uh, citizens, armies, cyber infrastructures and so on. This is a short answer because I have a lot to say about this, of course. I, uh, I, I imagine. Uh, uh, how far? are we from seeing traditional wars replaced by supposedly cleaner? We just spoke about it, but you know, maybe can we can go one step ahead. Do you see somewhere down the line, artificial intelligence replacing the military command structure instead of generals, we will see robots that will uh, manage the old, the old thing. We will uh, just uh, live on. Artificial intelligence is going to enter big into warfare, not just in cyber. Of course, in cyber, you know, there will be bots that will attack and bots that will defend because the um, velocity and the pace of the attack will be such that uh, humans cannot just, cannot do it alone without the bots and without uh, some robots, but it will also enter into the conventional field. So we will see a lot of AI and yes, the generals of the future should understand in technology, should understand in, uh, in very fast decision-making. The example that I give, that you, uh, you know, uh, Second World War, you had sometimes a week or several weeks to decide what to do. During the uh, 73 Yom Kippur um, war uh, between Israel, Egypt, and Syria, you had a day to decide what to do. Now we're going to hours and less than that. So and that's- It will come to seconds, they, finally, I think. That's where bots and robots will do the decisions, yes. I just 
thought about something else. Uh, finally, uh, my final question that I wanted to ask you after all the, uh, there were many scandals in this uh, field, given the extensive deals in the cyber field, what kind of controls has Israel or not only Israel have, have to put in place to prevent uh, cyber capacities from being abused by other countries? Uh, we saw how damaging this could be when it turned out that countries were using the Israeli Pegasus software to spy on their citizens. So I really, uh, I'm really not familiar with Pegasus or things like that, but generally I can tell you that in most countries, cybersecurity is out of regulation, but uh, whatever is not cybersecurity, meaning cyber means to... Um, to make intelligence or more than that are always under regulation, uh, export regulation and so on. And now it is uh, dependent on the specific country and industry, you know, and what uh, someone wants to achieve. In Israel, I think it's very uh, tough regulation. Yes, I, 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 we had a uh, here previous uh, podcast about it and I, I, my impression was that the regulations in Israel are re really tough, but, uh, but what you're saying is it's possible to re regulate this field, although it's nothing you can touch, but it's possible to regulate it. Yes, of course, very easy to regulate. Professor Vietar Matania, it was uh, highly, uh, very interesting and uh, I could uh, go and talk to you about, uh, on this uh, subject until we will have only seconds to decide in the in the future wars <laughs> i thank you very much for joining us here in uh, on israel in al monitor we will now just take a short break and come back with some final thoughts thank you to thanks a lot i'm andrew parasoliti president of the award-winning media news site el monitor where we cover the middle east with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere and I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. Our guest today is really the man uh, uh, to ask anything about uh, Israel being such a dominant uh, cyber superpower. He was there uh, in the decisive uh, decade that he calls uh, the decade of revolution between 2010 and 2020. And he is actually one of the major responsible uh, uh, guys of the, this Israeli success. And uh, when I asked him about uh, the comparison between the, the industrial revolution and the cyber revolution, he agreed. 
He said that uh, the Industrial Revolution freed us from the total dependence of, uh, of us uh, in human force. Uh, not only land is important, not only power, but also uh, uh, the machines. Now, in the cyber uh, uh, revolution, it freed us from the total dependence on the physical dimension, the physical presence. Now, what is uh, decisive is data, uh, data knowledge, the, the digital domain, and data is a weapon and a vital asset in, uh, in all our uh, human challenges. And uh, simultaneously, uh, while we are uh, experiencing this, uh, this decade, a, a decade and now the, the, the next decade, uh, more and more human activities are moving from the, what we call real life or the physical dimension to, uh, to virtual places, to the cyber uh, world, and it doesn't mean that things are not real anymore. It's it just that they happen not uh, in, in a place that we can touch them, but in a total different dimension. Professor Eviatar Matanya also approved that everything we think about the Israeli cyber is right. The incredible phenomenon, as he called it in Israel, is that 40% from the private global investment in uh, cyber is uh, happening in Israel. Third, from uh, all the union unicorn private uh, companies are Israelis. It is unbelievable because, as we uh, mentioned, Israel is uh, short, uh, just short of 10 million uh, people in population, and uh, this, uh, these global numbers are unprecedented. And uh, the key question, what is the secret of uh, this Israeli success, very rare success? He said that uh, it was a national strategy of uh, cybersecurity. And when you combine the, the security uh, attitude in Israel and the technology uh, advantage of Israel with all the high-tech nation, etc., you found uh, what we found in the Israeli cyber uh, networks and the industry, and uh, we cannot uh, skip on crediting Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu that uh, uh, seized the moment and uh, saw the opportunity and declared, declared the, the cyber as the, the next thing in the Israeli uh, national interest, and he uh, helped to, uh, to create the ecosystem that Professor Matania said is crucial uh, to, to, uh, to have an ecosystem, a governmental ecosystem that enables everything to move very fast forward and to take advantage of the, of the uh, many Israeli youth that uh, live uh, the intelligence in the IDF, like uh, 8200 and the Mossad when they are 21, 22, 23. These are the guys that made Israel a high-tech superpower, and these are exactly the same people that made Israel uh, the cyber superpower that it is. Let's hope that all, that all the wars in the future, and we also spoke about this, will be in cyber without real physical casualties. And let's also hope to meet here again next week in On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Take care. Bye-bye.